my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy National False Teeth Day, Joe. You know that I always told myself that once I got rich enough, I was going to get all new shiny porcelain veneers. What do, what do you think I would look like with that? I'm a great believer that you shouldn't replace your teeth for as long as you actually have your teeth. That's probably smart. Mine aren't that bad. Coming up on today's show, we got two things to do today. One, it's our EPT Prague preview show. Yes. The first EPT James and I will be attending in over two years. All the details coming up on today's show. I am leaving for the airport not long after we finish recording. Yeah. By the time you listen to this show, we will be in Prague. And I can say that with 100% certainty because I will not be able to hit the publish button until I'm online at the Hilton Prague. Nice. Two, I'm going to get a real live poker lesson here on the show. Andrew Brokos from the Thinking Poker podcast gave me a reading assignment. He told me to bring in a hand from home to show the class that I understood what the reading assignment was about. I think is why he told me to do that. Uh, remind me to ask him. I'm not sure what else to expect, but that's the whole point. We're going to get through it together. Ew, gross strategy. <laughs> um, I also played some live poker yesterday. In fact, that's where the hand is coming from. Useful. And to cleanse the palate of all that poker, Jack O'Neill is swinging by this week. He is the super fan he is quizzing me, or I am being quizzed on, and he is being quizzed on, The Mandalorian. Uh, and even though I've watched every episode of The Mandalorian, I believe I have no shot. I love the way that you now approach the Superfan quiz with the same mindset you approach poker. I do wonder if Andrew is going to focus on that, whether it is a mental game thing rather than actual technical ability thing. I, you know what? I'm curious. I'm very curious to find out. I'm, I'm open to all things at this point. Uh, you, know what, you know what else I saw, though, in addition to The Mandalorian, fresher in my mind? Yeah. The Batman. Yeah, so I heard you and Griffin discussing this on Monday's Sunday Million stream, and I'm glad you had the conversation while I wasn't there, because obviously I haven't seen the movie yet, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to go to the cinema to watch a three-hour DC film. Um, I'm glad, though, from what I inferred from what you were saying is this is a better standalone DC movie than The Joker. Oh, yeah, way, way better. I didn't even think of it in that in those terms. Yeah, way, 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 way better than The Joker. Pretty enjoyable. I did go to the bathroom three times during this three-hour movie, especially because you know how I like to consume at the cinema. Um, it, it was pretty decent. I, I don't think you'd be disappointed if you went to the movies to see it. Um, but the, the funny part about this is when I got home, I look on Facebook, and there's like a Facebook entertainment news story that says, Robert Pattinson drops into Burbank screening of the Batman. I was literally in that theater one showing before. Oh, man. He popped in. He literally um, waited for you to leave the building before he felt safe and comfortable to step inside. <laughs> totally. Uh, just a couple other things I, I just want to shout out that I've been watching. I started This Flag Means Death. That's the new Taika Waititi pirate show. Kind of interesting. Uh, not amazing, but uh, I'll, I'll give it another shot. Super pumped. The the Uber show that Compliment and Levine are doing, really into that so far. I am almost caught up on Billions. I think I'm one or two episodes behind. Finished the after party, which did drag for me for a little bit, but the ending was really, really cool, which is hard to do. Usually endings kind of suck, 
But the ending to the after party was really good. I know you're not watching any of that, James, so we'll just blow on past it all. No, it's fine. And also, look, we talked a lot about movies last week because last week's episode was dedicated yeah. to a particular movie, The Card Counter. And thank you to everyone who uh, provided feedback and their own comments on our Discord channels. A reminder that you should definitely, definitely join the Pokestars Discord server. And the link is in the podcast description. Um People enjoyed t- hearing about the movie. They enjoyed our interview with Lauren Mann. Danny Betts did ask, how come she didn't have to do a quiz? And I think you already answered this, Joe. Obviously, we often have limited time with the guests and where there is a lot to talk about. If we're going to discuss a movie from start to finish and also try and get to know someone as well, we can't always squeeze in a five to ten minute stupid game. Yeah. And so, I mean, as often as I would like to, James is usually like, okay, like you only do three things on this show and one of them is make a game, but don't bother this week. Um, and I will say it was particularly appropriate to not do a game with Lauren because Lauren is one of my closest friends. She's over at my house all the time. And whenever we have people over, eventually at some point of the night, we devolve into playing games. Uh, we usually play Jackbox games. We play Quiplash. We play Family Feud sometimes. And this is the moment when Lauren grabs her coat and leaves. She hates games. Really, really hates them. So oh, wow. She was perfectly happy to not have to play one on the show. Uh, on the subject of my friends, on uh, I think Sunday, Molina hit me up. And he's like, hey, do you want to play the 10 a.m. tournament at Hollywood Park on Tuesday? <laughs> and I'm like... So, Josh, how long is your wife out of town for? And he is like, until Wednesday. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so, it's that yeah. obvious, right? It's that yeah. obvious. Yeah. And so, like, when, when a guy in his 50s is like, hey, let's play a 10 a.m. tournament, you're like, okay, like, your wife's out of town. So, I'm like, you know what? Why not? I'll do it. I'm going to Prague the next day, uh, leaving my girlfriend. But why not? Why not go spend the entire day playing poker the day before? Um, it was $120 buy-in just to give you guys the stakes. I'm not going to do any of the hands that I played because I'm going to cover a lot of it with Andrew of course. when he's, when he's on in a little bit, but I can, I can tease the ending. I finished in 11th place and I did cash. Okay. So this is positive news. Maybe we are seeing a progression. Maybe we are seeing a changing of the tide. Well, look, let's get into it, shall we? Let's bring in this week's guest. Um, he is a professional poker player, author, coach, and podcast host. And here are a couple of hashtag fun facts that I found on his Wikipedia page. He's the founder of the Boston Debate League, hmm. and he cashed the World Series of Poker main event five times in his first six attempts, including three top 100 finishes. I'm going to class that as not too shabby. Andrew Brokos, welcome to Poker in the Is. Thank you, and congratulations on finding the two true facts on my Wikipedia page. Uh, many of the other things mentioned on there are not accurate. So that I was, was going to uh, be bracing when you. My first question: Are they genuine <laughs> facts or are they hashtag fake facts? Good to know they're both true. And as I said, that is not too shabby as far as the World Series of Poker main event is concerned. It's not an easy tournament to steer your way through into the money and certainly not easy to make into the top 100 the secret is running good perfect wait there you go joe you just said your first lesson is that the lesson because i already (laughs) know that i don't run good i think i've already figured that part out andrew uh before we get into that lesson we want to get to know you a little bit we want to uh give people an opportunity to uh, this is going to sound accusatory but i don't mean it that way 
What are your qualifications? Like, what? how did you come up in all this? How did you get to starting your podcast? What are your specialties? Give me a, give me like a, a, an Andrew pitch. Uh, yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been doing this poker thing for uh, 15 plus years now. I had it as, as my sole source of income. As James mentioned, I have had other things that I was working on, sometimes even putting more time into them than I was putting into poker, including this nonprofit organization that I started, uh, which is really, I mean, when I, I, I was a very competitive debater in, uh, in, in high school and in college. And uh, I, I, when I came out of college, I was thinking what I wanted to do was to start this uh, debate league, which is like an after-school debate program in the Boston public schools. And um, so I was kind of trying to find jobs in, in the nonprofit sector with an eye towards like eventually building towards that. And uh, I was having trouble getting those jobs. And this is like 2004. So, you know, kind of right when poker, online poker is like really booming. And I was just kind of playing poker a little bit for fun. And I was making a you know, touch of money playing like $5 sit and goes. But, uh, you know, I discovered two plus two and, and kind of got the idea. I, was, I realized, you know, there were people making good money at this. And I was like, well, I think even just doing this part time, I can make more money than I would at these like jobs that I'm trying to apply to that I'm not even getting callbacks for. And, uh, and, you know, start the organization that I want to start rather than trying to work at somebody else's nonprofit. Um, which is what I did. Uh, and I, I did get that organization to the point where running it would have been a paid full-time job. Uh, that happened to be 2008, which was um, also the first year that I had my deep run in the WSIP main event. So cool. I just cashed for like 200 plus thousand dollars, finished 35th in the main event and was like, I don't know if I'm really looking for a full-time job right now. So um, ended up hiring somebody else to uh, to run the debate league, which is you know, still still going strong uh, 10 plus years after I've been out of it now. But um and then you know, poker kind of became a full-time thing from there. That's when I started doing more coaching, kind of filled in the, the time that uh, that had been going into the debate league. And uh, so I mean, I've played, I, as I mentioned, I started off playing sit and goes, moved into playing tournaments. Um, 2008 was also around when I started playing cash because I did, I had sort of exploded my bankroll. And at that time uh, you really couldn't play, you couldn't put thousands of dollars into play at a time playing tournaments online. You know, if you wanted to have that kind of money in play, you had to play cash. So, you know, that was around the time that I got better at cash. And then, um, I've just been, you know, really, I didn't play much live poker until 2011. And then I started playing a lot more at that point. So I think at this point, uh, I've done pretty much all of it when it comes to no limit. Uh, you know, I, I don't coach people in like PLO or those other games. I have a, a decent understanding of them, but not enough to be, uh, to be coaching anybody. But, um, yeah, I mean, aside from that, I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've been a professional specializing in sit and goes, MTTs, uh, cash games, live and online at various points in my career. So would you say that uh, your your income is made up now between coaching, playing and podcasting? Those are your three um, podcasting deserves the pinky finger for sure. Okay. <laughs> or like half of the pinky finger, uh, books and, and, uh, and book royalties are, are actually a bigger component than you know, when I wrote the book, I really had no idea play off of a booker. Um, I, I had no idea uh, what to expect in terms of an, an audience for it. It helped that I had another deep run in the main event in, in 2019. And, um, so, I mean, that, that was certainly good for, uh, for book sales. And then, I mean, the, I mean, it's been now over a year since I published my second book and uh, royalties are continuing to come in decently well from those, which is uh, very cool. pleasant. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the podcast because it's something that is very well respected within the poker industry. It's been on my radar for some time. But my understanding is it's called Thinking Poker. 
So how the hell did Joe Stapleton end up appearing as a guest? <laughs> After you've been doing it for 10 years, you know, we've, we sort of exhausted all the thinking uh, players. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say congratulations on that podcast, by the way. I know you guys were not nominated this year for a GPI award, which I find to be, you know, it's look, think people get left out all the time, of th- uh, you know, for various things. I will say that. This podcast, I don't know what your actual numbers are like, but your perceived numbers is that I know more people that listen to your podcast than listen to any other poker podcast. And I'm talking about fairly casual poker fans who are like interested in game theory, interested in making their game better. Everyone in my home games listen to Thinking Poker to the point where I'm actually kind of jealous uh, of uh, of the reach that you have, do you feel that? Do you feel as if you have that sort of reach that like kind of uh, branches out beyond like poker industry into like poker fans? Um, intermittently. So it is a nice thing of like if I go into a poker room almost anywhere, um, a lot of people won't recognize me based on what I look like. But if people hear me talk, there's a fair chance someone will be like, "Oh wait, I know that voice." Um, so that that's sort of nice. And especially like at the WSOP, you know how frustrating it can be. Um, you have a bad day, you get bad beat out of a tournament or whatever, and you're questioning whether you even know what you're doing playing poker anymore. And then there'll often be, you know, I'm, I'm sort of at a level of poker fame where like one person a day at the WSOP will, will uh, one stranger a day will that's like perfect. stop me. And, and it, it, it is perfect. You know, I, I don't think, like I, I've seen, uh, I don't know, like Phil Ivey getting bothered in the bathroom by people. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm satisfied not having that level of, of poker fame. One a day is, is a good number for me. That shows um, you how long Andrew's been in the game that he has been around since Phil Ivey used the regular bathrooms after the World <laughs> Series of Poker. I was going to say, yeah. I, I think that once you reach a point, a point where you can't take a piss in peace, the kind of fame thing no longer is appealing or alluring. That's where it just becomes bothersome. Um, just ask Joe. It happens to him every time, even when he's at home. Um, <laughs> true. So we have brought you onto this podcast, Andrew, with... I think a very difficult challenge. You're here to try and make Joe a better poker player. And I'm intrigued to know how this is going to happen, how this is going to work and what you think you can possibly achieve. Uh, I apologize for being a cynic. I don't think this is going to be an issue with the teacher. I am very concerned about the aptitude of the pupil. Well, I like the way that you framed this, um, which is, you know, the if, if the goal is simply to make him better, then uh, the weaker he currently is, the easier my job is, right? True, true. Although, and this is something we were talking about a short while ago, just before you joined us. I think Joe's technical game is actually pretty solid. His mental game is a disaster. And Mm. negative thinking, I think, now clouds his judgment. That's my two cents, but I'm going to stay out this conversation because I'm not the expert here. I'm going to let you go to work. Joe, what do you want to say? Okay, so I, 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 one thing I would say is that, James, I don't disagree with you, although I, all I hear uh, from everybody is that the, your thinking can affect the cards. Nothing affects the cards. Nothing can affect the next card that comes off the deck. So no matter how badly I think my bad beat's coming, um, it shouldn't affect the fact that it happens. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, Andrew, if I could do my, my spiel to you. um So before we begin, I want to give you like a little bit of background on me. Uh, One thing that I would look at if I was going to hire Andrew as a coach, right, is I look at it the same way as if I'm hiring a therapist or a physical trainer. 
um, I, there's a few things I would want to know if we're going to get along personality, Rise, if I can trust you. Does that make sense? Certainly. Okay, so before we go any further, I'm going to need you to answer the following questions with a yes, I believe you, or a no, I do not believe you, okay? I will, I will listen to your questions, okay. and I will do sure. my best to answer them in that Okay, in that cool. Fashion. Fair enough. All right, here we go. So far, so good. I like that answer. Question one, do you believe that I am probably, at worst, a slightly below average poker player? In what field? No limit hold. Or com- compared, to, compared to whom? I mean, compared, compared to, to the games I play. Right. That's a great question. Way. Compared to the games I play in, which is typically uh, casual poker fans who are like, who listen to your podcast, who are good poker players, but very few pros, right? Like, there's there's no real pros that play in the games but that I play in. You're not playing like 1Ks and 2Ks. You're playing. No. I play $100. I'm playing $100 two table sit and goes or like $120 daily tournaments, right? That's like my average buy in. So I I would tend to think that I am at worst slightly below average. Yes, I believe that. Okay. Question two Do you believe that in my last seven live poker tournaments, I have made zero flushes, zero full houses, one set, and two straights? Uh, you seem to have those numbers pretty, pretty, uh, ready to hand. So yes, I believe that. Great. Do you believe that of my last seven live tournaments, I've been dealt aces once and Kings and Queens zero times. Yes, I believe that. Okay. Do you believe that of the at least 150 two table sit and goes I have played amongst friends since May of 2020, I have won exactly zero of them. I suppose you wouldn't have much reason to lie about that. So yes, Okay, great. That. Knowing all of these things, can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe that. Okay. So one of the big questions I have, which I don't want you to expect you to answer right now, it, my huge thing I'm struggling with is we talk about balance all the time in poker, right? We balance our bets, balance our ranges. I do not know how to balance if I never have a hand. I, you know, if I, it's been seven live tournaments, I haven't made a flush. I don't know how to balance anymore. I've forgotten um, how to, like, it, it's all, it's always bluffs for me. Um, you can answer that now or if you want, or I can tell everyone what you sort of assigned, which I think is a, was a great assignment, by the way. Yeah, let's, but before we, we get into that specific scenario, let sure. me talk about this. I mean, James mentioned the, the negative thinking as well. Yeah. And um, while it's true that your thoughts are not going to affect the cards, I, I do not believe <laughs> that that is the case. Um, I do think it's true that if you come into poker with that feeling of, you know, I lose every flip, I never make a set, I never make a flush, et cetera, um, I'm, I'm currently in a downswing. If, if you come in with that sort of belief, you are going to play less well because you are going to be unwilling to take the kinds of risks that are correct, you know, profitable risks. If you're feeling as like, well, you know, it's, I'm sure the math says I'm supposed to call with ace king here, but my ace king always misses, right? You're less likely to make that call. Um, that doesn't apply only to, to Ace King, but I think the more that you can, so you, you can certainly identify downswings in, in the past, right? You can look behind you as you did and say, I have not won 150 tournaments. So you were in a downswing. You have no way of knowing whether you're going to win the next tournament that you play or not, or, you know, whether the next hand you're going to be dealt as aces or not. And I think that, you know, once you start to believe that you are less likely to get dealt aces than someone else is, or, you know, you're not going to get dealt hands, you're not going to make hands as often 
than someone else is, that's a really poisonous way to be thinking at the table. And I generally encourage people just not to play when, when they're in that mindset. You know, I know that, you know, academically that that is not true. Correct. And the question is, you know, what do you have to do to get yourself into a point where you feel that viscerally so that you're willing to, um, to take the appropriate risks? Yeah, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that and I, so yesterday I did play a live poker tournament yesterday, sort of, so we could have some stuff to talk about today. Um, and I always go into every new tournament with, Hey, like this is going to be the one where I'll finally run like normal. Um, I understand that I'm never going to win every pot. I understand that there's, you know, there's always going to be beats and bad beats, but I'm like, Oh, today will be the day that like, you know, I make two hands. Um, and I will say that yesterday when I played, I was very pleased. I flopped top pair twice, which is like huge, like more than has happened to me in any tournament since then. I made one straight yesterday, doubling the amount of straights I've made in the last six months. So I was like really, really excited. Of course, I, you know, what I'd struggled with yesterday was other than those hands, it's like queen five all the live long day, uh, which I find to be mathematically improbable also. Um but one thing that I will say is that I don't I don't suffer bad beats as much now that I don't get any hands to play to begin with. Um, and it yesterday was the first. So every day that mindset starts fresh, but it takes fewer and fewer, less and less time for me to go back into the bad mindset. Mm-hmm. Once I get six deuce the fourth hand in a row, I'm like, this is this is mathematically it, how, how like I've never gotten aces twice in a row. How am I getting six deuce four hands in a row? So. Yesterday, I got to the point where I started off up here mindset-wise, and then uh, the the third time I, I raised with ace-king, ace-queen, ace-queen, and I completely missed the flop and got my dick punched in on the flop, um, I was like, maybe I just shouldn't even raise ace-king and ace-queen anymore. Maybe I should just fold, um, which is, to your point, um, you know, really bad, really bad when I start considering, like, what's the point of raising it all? Um I think the lesson you assigned, by the way, so Andrew uh, sent me an article called Why Bet? And it, it was perfect, really, when you think about it. Um, if I could summarize, it, please tell me if I get this wrong, Andrew. Sorry, before you do that, can, yeah. I, can I respond a little bit to what you're saying? Yeah, before? please, please, I, actually please, have, yes. I have a pretty concrete exercise for you, I think. Great. And this is something that I did for myself to address this problem of... You know, your objective when you go to play a, a poker tournament, play any, it doesn't have to be a tournament. Um, your objective, I would argue, should not be to win the tournament. Like you shouldn't be trying to win the tournament. And when you're playing a hand of poker, you shouldn't be trying to win the hand. You shouldn't be trying to win the pot. Your objective okay. is to, I mean, ideally, you'd think of things as, as individual decisions. And your objective is to make every single one of those decisions individually as well as it can be made. To there, It's kind of like doing a crossword puzzle. You know, you're trying to find the solution to the puzzle. And the game, you know, we, we sort of arbitrarily group these decisions into things that we call hands or things that we call tournaments. Um, and the more that you get wrapped up in that, like, big picture of, like, oh, I, I want to win this pot or I, I want to win this tournament or something, like, that can only distract you from making each individual decision well. So, okay. you know, kind of paradoxically, by, by making each individual decision well, that is how you give yourself the best chance of winning the tournament. But I think you, you want to make you know, winning a, a secondary objective. That's and the problem is that 
the reward system that we, that we generally accept in poker of like getting chips pushed to you or, or winning money, um, that does not trace perfectly or track perfectly with uh, making good decisions. So I was trying to think about what's, what's it like a different way that you can keep score that will better track whether or not you're making good decisions rather than just am I winning chips, which, which correlates only loosely on a short-term basis with whether you're making good decisions. Um, so what I did, I put an app on my phone called click counter i'm sure there's a lot of these it's sort of like what a gym coach would use if you were you know running laps and they were like just you know counting how many laps you ran and um every time that i played a hand i would give myself a plus one if i believe that i played that hand as well as it could be played if i felt like there's really no question i, I play this hand correctly uh and the only way i would give myself i wouldn't necessarily give myself a negative if, if the answer to that question was no the only way i get a negative i would have one specific thing that i was working on like i want to make sure i'm finding the right value bet so if i felt like i missed a value bet i'd get a negative otherwise if it was imperfectly played it would just be a, you know a zero a neutral okay. um, so now getting dealt queen five offsuit for the fourth time that's an easy plus one Queen five offsuit is an easy hand to play correctly. Seven deuce offsuit, easy hand to play correctly. So you you, you just score an easy plus one on that. Aces is a difficult hand to get plus one with. Uh, there's lots of ways to make mistakes with aces. Even if Definitely. you win the pot, there's lots of ways to make mistakes with aces. Um, and now I'm not going to pretend that I don't care about winning money <laughs> when I play poker, but I do think that, that that exercise has helped me and has helped other people separate themselves a little bit from um, from getting getting wrapped up in that. And you know, in particular in tournaments, I think the tournaments have this tendency of like you start to feel desperate like the blinds are getting bigger and you're like oh, i'm not winning chips i have to make something happen i think it's helpful to remind yourself that like if you're not getting dealt good hands in tournaments every time you fold the threshold for what counts as a good hand goes down right as you have fewer and fewer chips so are you saying it should be or that's something mentally that we have to stop ourselves from doing no i'm, I'm saying it should um, okay. essentially like so let's say you have like you have eight big blinds and you're like oh i really have to go all in soon or else i'm gonna i'm getting blinded down and you get dealt seven deuce offsuit you're like well it's not profitable to go on the seven deuce offsuit so if you're just making this on a you know just decision by decision basis like going all in with seven deuce when you have eight big blinds is not profitable that's quite so literally that exact situation happened to me Yesterday. I did double up at one point when I had eight big blinds, but it, like the my bust out hand was I had about uh, eight big blinds to start the hand. I was in the big blind uh, and I had queen eight suited and a fellow who had raised my big blind like the last three orbits, knowing that I like didn't call with any of them raised again. So I was like, this seems like, OK, I have six big blinds left. I have a queen. It's suited. Uh, all right. I'm going to I'm going to shove all in. Maybe he'll he'll fold. Maybe he's just trying to steal my blind. Probably not had ace queen and I went broke and I felt stupid for going broke with queen eight suited. Um, you know, especially in a spot where I was dominated and it just seems like, you know, I, I don't know if that was a good decision or not at that point, but I'd been saw no hands that I like my, my brain like needs a reset. I mean, yeah. I, I think that what you were talking about there, though, Andrew, is something I think a lot of people can take away from this. I think the whole concept of thinking micro rather than macro and focusing on each individual decision and scoring yourself on making correct decisions rather than the outcome and having that as a takeaway that something you can look at as a positive, as a literal positive, I think that's something a lot of people could benefit from. Thank you. Yeah, that, that is the 
the important takeaway there. Sure. And to Joe's example, like I think probably without knowing details of you know, what exactly the race size or whatever, probably I would say you should have called from the big blind rather than gone all in. Um, may not have changed the outcome of the hand. I don't know, but it does sound like there was a little bit of that, like sort of creeping desperation of like, I haven't been de- getting Delta hand. And then that was creeping in. Like for all, you knew you were going to get Delta aces next hand. You know, if you hadn't gone broke there, maybe you would have got Delta aces doubled up and won the tournament, you know, based on, on the next hand. Um, and you know, it wouldn't have to be aces obviously, but the, so like once you stop believing that good cards are, are coming to you, then you're more willing to, to make that kind of like desperate play. Being in the big blind is an opportunity to play some hands that it might not be profitable to play from other situations because you're also getting, a, you're often getting a very good price to call. And it sounds like what happened there was you kind of declined that opportunity because you were getting frustrated and were like, well, I don't want to, you know, I just want to sort of make a stand and, and put the last of my chips in there rather than what I would say would probably be the better play, call with the queen eight suited, you're getting a great price to do it. And then, you know, you may get, there may be some flops. Um, you know, your standards don't have to be real high because you're going to have a pretty low stack to pot ratio. When you see the flop, you won't need a great hand to put the rest of your chips in, but you're going to see some flops where you're like, boy, I'm glad I don't have my entire stack out in there since I'm just holding queen eight suited. And the flop is like ace king deuce with none of my suit. Uh, and, and you can check fold and, and save those four big blinds in case you do get down aces. Uh, next okay. Hand. So, all right. So, so just calling and having four big blinds after that is okay. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, that that that's what I and what look it's great. I I I like making mistakes in tournaments because I I'm like I don't know if you've heard this theory of mine, Andrew and I can't remember if we talked about it when I was on the podcast, uh, your podcast, but every poker player I know is like, oh, I don't care what the runout is as long as I made the right decision, which is good, and I understand that, but it, there's no lesson to be learned from that. Like, at least there's a lesson for me to learn and having made that mistake there. Right. Like at least I can improve on that. I'm glad that there are things I can improve upon because, you know, and to be perfectly honest, I would have completely bricked that entire board. Um, like, like I did a, a, almost every other hand, the tournament. Um, so I, you know, I probably would have check folded, um, whatever, whatever that flop ended up being. So tell us about your homework assignment, Joe, what was the lesson okay. that Andrew set you? So as far as I could tell, the lesson was about, as an example, it was called why bet. It was about when to see bet and when not to um, was like the main example there. And I think it was a great topic to start with because um, not often, but I, 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 as we could tell, I don't I haven't hit. Right. I haven't I haven't hit a lot of hands. And so I'm I often struggle with. Is this a board I am supposed to continuation bet? Uh, especially because typically your my raise is being called by the big blind, right? Like more often than not, it's the big blind that is uh, that that is calling. And generally, this range advantage that I have from being the raiser, you know, when it comes eight high, two of a suit that I don't have one of, I'm like ah, what do I do here? Like this obviously like hits the big blind way more than it hits me, but it feels weak to just like check fold or check call one street and then fold with hands like ace queen and ace king. Uh, so I, I, I did think this was a good place to start. Is this, is this sort of what the lesson was, Andrew? Yeah. And I'd be curious to hear your, what, what did you take away as the answers to that question of, of why bet? I would say there are kind of two big, two big answers to that question. Well, I thought that one of them is, you know, that the it, 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 it for for arguing like why you should bet, 
Mm-hmm. Or like, what, what is, where does the value of a bet come from? What, what would incentivize you to bet with, with a certain hand? Oh, right. So you want to bet for, for value, right? Like you would bet in situations where you want to be called, where you think you have the best hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you would want to bet in situations where you can fold out better hands. Yeah. And I would even, I would broaden those two things a little bit. Um, okay. I think the way you put that is, is very appropriate for the river where on the river, it's very clearly like either I'm betting and I want to get called or, or I'm building I'm, a pot. Yes. Is another one. Sure. Yeah. So I think the, like on early streets, we, we do see things like protection bets and semi bluffs where they're kind of deriving their value from both of those things where like, if you're betting with a flush draw, you might prefer that your opponent fold. A lot of the value of that bet comes from the times that they fold, but a fair bit of it also comes from the times that they call. And a different example might be, you know, maybe the flop is like King eight, five, and you have eight, seven. And, you know, to bet that flop, I'm not necessarily rooting for a call when I bet that flop, right? I mean, a lot of times if I get called, it's going to be because my opponent has a king, but I'm not in terrible shape if I'm called. I might sometimes get called by ace queen. I might get called by lower pair, a, a draw of some sort. So I'm not necessarily like dead in the water when my bet is called. And even though I'm not expecting a better hand than my pair of eights to fold, I do think I can cause my opponent to fold equity. In other words, I could make a hand like queen jack fold. So that's another case where even though it's not real clearly a value bet, it's not real clearly a bluff, it's kind of benefiting from both of those things. And that can happen on the early streets. It doesn't really happen on the river since the hands can't change value on the river. But on early streets, you want to ask yourself, how well will I be doing when I'm called? And also how much will I benefit from folds? Okay. Yeah. So you asked me to to bring in a hand that I thought that you maybe could illustrate this point. And I did play one yesterday and if I've missed it, the point completely. <laughs> Don't be afraid to tell me. I, I want my mistakes and my misconceptions here to help everybody who's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, during this tournament, it, it was a big blind anti-tournament. So uh, we're at a, a section where the small blinds 400, the big blinds 800, and the anti is 800 paid by the big blind. Uh, I have about 38,000 in chips, um, just under 50 bigs. I have ace 10 off and I raise from mid to late, mid late position uh, to 1800. I don't, I don't like just min betting in these sorts of events, these $120 dailies. Maybe that's a mistake. I just feel like uh, people flick it in super easy for just a min bet. And if it's like a little bit more, they fold slightly more. If if you're at a point where the biggest mistake you're making is that your preflop raise size is off by, you know, 0.2 of a big blind, you're in very good shape. So I'm I'm not going (laughs) to worry too much about uh, whether it should have been a 2 or a 2.2 or a 2.5. So Your your raise is perfectly fine. Excellent. Um, I mentioned that now, like this is, by the way, this is in the point of the tournament where like I'm already frustrated that I have missed everything. And I'm like close to folding ace 10. Uh, because I, n- I never hit anyway, but I don't, but I'm you like, didn't. no, you, you trusted the math you raised yes. so far. So good. Okay. So I get uh, called by the big blind and the flop is nine of hearts, nine of diamonds, two, uh, deuce of hearts. Quick question, uh, I Joe. I appreciate yeah. that. Obviously lineups at tables and MTTs change all the time. Yeah. Anything you can tell us about the player in the big blind? Do you yeah. The player in the big of- blind had white hair. Right. Was a white was a white haired gentleman, okay, which does sometimes say a little bit of something, right? Um, so that uh, it's nine nine deuce two hearts. I have the ace of hearts, uh, which I know because I made a really big deal about looking again, so everyone would notice that I was checking for the ace of hearts. Um, I decide that now is one of those times to see bet. Um, 
I think that, you know, uh, the player in the big blind is going to have more nines than I do, but really shouldn't have that many nines because there's not many nines left to have. Um, pretty hard to flop trips. Uh, now, I wanted to bet 1,700 as a C bet, but I didn't have any 100 chips left, so I just bet 2,000. You do know that you can throw in two 1K chips and say the word 1,700. I do know, but I was like, ah, like, let's let fate decide. I'm going to make it 2,000. Again, I think if, if the, your biggest mistake is betting 2,000 instead of 1,700, you'll be golden. So we'll, okay, we great. won't fret too much over that. Uh, and I um, feel like, yes, go ahead, please. So let, let, why don't you try applying those two um, axes of, of value? How well yeah. am I doing if I'm called? How much am I benefiting from folds? How do you see those applying to this bet? I think I'm benefiting a lot to folds, obviously, um, because hands like... What are some queen, examples of hands that are Queen Jack, Queen 10... Um, Jack 10, lots of like two over cards, uh, can fold. I think, um, you know, any, like most connectors are probably going to fold right on nine, nine deuce. Mm -hmm. So, and, and hands where, you know, their pairs are live against me. Uh, so I think I benefit a lot from folds, uh, not doing great if I'm called. However, I do think that sometimes people are going to peel two face cards also, um, you know, it comes nine, nine deuce. They might call with queen Jack. They might call with King queen. Um, obviously they're going to call with all the hands that have me beat probably, uh, which, which include most pairs, uh, and, and ace King and ace queen. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I think all that is correct. Uh, and I think to some degree, these things are sort of uh, the, the, those two factors. Um, some people will fold more than others on this flop. I mean, stereotypically, I would guess that maybe your your white haired opponent is going to fold more than than some people will on that yes. flop. So you know what's happening there is you're doing a little bit less well when that player calls you. You know, it, your your hand is not quite as live. A, a, a more looser, aggressive player might call with a lot of hands today. Ten is ahead of. So you're benefiting more from folds versus this player. You're doing yeah. less well when when you're called. But what you're banking on, which is true, is that the one thing he can't do, he can't have a better hand than Ace Ten very often they're just they're not dealt that often nothing about his play so far suggests he has a better hand than ace 10 so betting okay. the ace 10 is is pretty safe um you know the, the the only real risk that you run into is um the, so and this is actually like a third consideration for for betting is the risk of a race well guess um, what happens andrew yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does not fold he raises and he but he raises the minimum and I can tell from the way he reacts that he meant to raise more. <laughs> I want to know, actually, before you bet, did you consider the possibility that, that he might raise? I did because I this is a this is my negative mindset. Mm -hmm. My my negative lizard brain. Everything bad happens to me is there's no way he's going to think I hit this board of nine nine deuce, and he's just going to raise me. Because I don't have any nines here, and I probably don't have aces or kings because I never have a hand. Um, so, I, I, if I if I bet here, I could get raised. Good, and in, with with that in mind, um, and 
you know, the, the more that, that that's like a player specific thing of you know, this person in particular seems like someone who might raise me here. I mean, you're right about the general dynamic, like anyone, even a non-especially aggressive player could look at a flop like that and think like, oh, it's pretty hard for this guy to have a nine. Maybe I'll just raise him. So I think the more that you do that planning ahead of time and you say to yourself, there's a real chance, like my bet might induce a bluff raise. Um, the more that you do that ahead of time, the more comfortable I'm going to be with you calling a raise. Where I get really suspicious is when people bet in your shoes, they don't mention anything about maybe my opponent's going to raise when I ask them why they're betting. And then their opponent raises, and then they start making reasons why it could be a bluff. I'm much more suspicious of people who don't don't anticipate the bluff until they get raised, and then they start you know kind of speculating how it could be a bluff. If you tell me in advance, I think betting small here might encourage my opponent to raise me as a bluff, I think you have a very good hand for, for calling that raise. Okay, so I did consider, but again, it wasn't necessarily for the right reasons. It was because, like, oh, like, uh, like, of course they're gonna raise me because I there's no way I have any of this, and I don't. So he does raise based on the fact that it looked like he wanted to raise more, and it was minimum. And I have the ace of hearts in my hand, and there's two hearts out there. I'm like, I think I can get away with calling one time here, uh, mm-hmm. and I do. And the turn is now another deuce. Okay, so it's a double pad board now, right? double paired board and I'm like okay like my ace high is like is doing okay now against a lot of hands and against a lot of hands that he would bluff raise me too um but I don't I don't want to bet now and get raised again um and so now I check and he fires 15,000 well hold on. if he's the big blind he would have been first to act right? oh sorry excuse me he fires 15,000 I just says okay. he bet 15 he he now leads for 15,000 and that's like half of my stack, all of my profit. You know, I'm up from like a 25K starting stack. And I'm just like, okay, this is the sort of situation like I don't really need to be in right now. He could have a nine. He could have had a deuce. He could have kings. He could have, you know, I, I mean, granted, he didn't I, re-raise me pre-flop. But I mean, look, Andrew, you're the expert here. So you go next. My suspicion here is I think a lot of the time this could easily be a chop. I think he could be playing an ace this way and overvaluing it also i think he's like to do this with hands like fours fives and sixes i don't think he has a big pair here but i i personally don't dislike the fold because my experience of players like this in tournaments like this is when they're betting big they generally have it same i I agree with that. Um, I also think we don't necessarily have to, like this could be a much better player. Like, I don't think this has to hinge on the assumption about who this player is or, or what mistakes they're making. That's fair. Um, I think that what's happened essentially is when you bet small on the flop, you can be doing that. And I think you should be doing that with literally your entire range, everything that you raise pre-flop on the, on this particular flop. I think this is, this is actually a tremendously advantageous flop for you as the pre-flop raiser. Um, and it's important to keep in mind that although your opponent, the big blind, is more likely to have a nine, neither of you is very likely to have a nine. A nine-nine deuce board is really just one that doesn't do much to disrupt the preflop dynamic. You have the much stronger preflop range, and on the nine-nine deuce flop, that basically just carries forwards. Like very few hands change value on a nine-nine deuce flop. So if you had the stronger range preflop, you still have the stronger range on that flop. And basically every hand in your range wants to bet for various reasons. You're very bad. Like if you have a nine or you have pocket aces or something, you want to bet to make the pot larger. When you have a good but not great hand, like a small pair, ace 10 falls in this category, you still benefit from betting because you do want to deny value to all those random, you know, two, two live card hands your opponent might have. So you want to be betting a lot. Um, the way that you can compensate for a lot having a, not having a lot of nines is exactly what you did, which is using a small bet size. Um, 
So what you're doing here is, is maybe you've heard this term pushing equity. You're just kind of saying like, I'm just trying to make this, I'm not necessarily trying to play a huge pot here. I'm just trying to protect all the equity that my range has with this little bit. The one tool that your opponent has at, at his disposal is because he does have the nine a little bit more often than you do, he can leverage that fact to do some, some check raising and he gets to do some bluffing here. I mean, he legitimately can have a nine. He does, he's allowed to have some bluffs here. He's not necessarily making a mistake unless he over bluffs. Yeah. And the way that you're going to deal with this is you have to think about where your current hand sits relative to your range. Like with this information that your opponent has, he knows what, what position you raised from. He knows you made a small bet on the flop. He knows you have incentives to do that with lots of hands. And so when he makes a really tiny check raise, you want to continue pretty aggressively to that check raise um, because he's not risking very much to try to win that pot. So you don't want to make it too easy for him to win with nothing. The more chips he puts into the pot, so like when he fires a very large turn bet, you can do a lot more folding against that bet because now he's taking on a lot more risk. And you've already strengthened your range once. I mean, you're still going to fold some hands to that check raise. So for all your opponent knows, you have pocket twos, you have pocket nines, you have ace nine, you have 10 nine suited, you have jack nine suited, nine eight suited. You have lots of other hands besides ace 10. And your opponent has no way of knowing that you're holding ace 10 and not one of those hands. So it's not like he can just look at you and be like, oh, screw this guy. He doesn't have a nine and just make a huge bet. Um, so I think you know at this point, ace 10 was maybe close to the, or somewhat close to the top of your flop betting range, which is why you called the raise with it. Once you're facing a big turn bet, ace 10 is no longer so close to the top of your range. You already folded on the flop a lot of the weaker hands that, that you would have bet the flop with. Yeah. I think now ace 10 is close enough to the bottom of your range. I'd feel fine about folding it, accepting that I am getting buffed sometimes. I mean, that's that's just part of the game. Yeah. Going back to your original scoring system then, Andrew, if we look at Joe's action uh, pre-flop, on the flop, and on the turn facing that bet, are we getting plus ones for all three streets? Um, I would, it's definitely a plus one for pre-flop. It's definitely a plus one for <laughs> flop bet. Um, and I mean, this, I'm, I'm scoring myself as much as you, I think this is just a, it's a difficult hand to play. Once you have a hand that you, you can beat a bluff, it's just a pure bluff catcher. It's just a very difficult hand to play. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm generally not giving myself uh, plus ones when, it, when I'm in this situation of like, uh, I'm, I'm folding and you know, there's, there's some chance. But it's I, not I'm, a minus I'm, one. It's not a minus one. It's no. a neutral. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I bring up this hand because I thought it was applicable to the to the lesson that, that it absolutely you, is. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's not one that I particularly am complaining about or you know or but I will say that part of where my current mindset comes from is just imagine that hand on repeat forty times a day in my last you know six days of not forty times a day twelve times a day. In my last six live tournaments, it's like very frustrating to be like, well, I, I can't play back. I have nothing. I have nothing. I don't. But if you focus on Andrew's scoring system, Joe, and you basically give yourself that plus one, plus one neutral, I know that poker money's the way most people keep score, right? But if you don't look at it like that, if you ab adopt the micro approach that Andrew was suggesting, you will feel better about your game. Because you can't control the cards. You can't control fate, but you can control the decisions you take on each and every street. I will, I, you know what? I, it, 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 because I'm open to this and because I, I, I want to get better and feel better, I will attempt this. I'll update you guys next time I have a chance to do it. I will attempt this. In, in the short term, hearing about this, I'm like, 
I don't care about a pat on the head. It's like when your boss tells you like, oh, we're a family here. And you're like, no, I want to raise, <laughs> um, you know, the like keeping my own score of like doing this well does not feel very gratifying to me, but I will try it because, uh, like I said, I, I'm, if, if that will help me, uh, let's do it. I think that is a really good idea. And I have to say, Andrew, I found this really insightful and really interesting. And I do genuinely think that everyone listening to this show, uh, whatever level they're at, whatever games they're playing, will find this useful. Can I, can I ask Andrew one last easy question? Not of a stress thing. Andrew, uh, before we let you go, what what do you charge if you are going, if people want to hit you up to hire you, why don't you get a little plug in for your coaching? Because I think that was fucking awesome, by the way. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it, 250 an hour is the base rate. Um, I have some packages that get you six hours uh, for the price of five. So for, for 1250, you get six hours and those are kind of designed to go through what I think of like the fundamental poker skills, hand reading, thinking about value betting, thinking about bluffing. You know, we touch very, very lightly on those subjects. There's a lot more depth we could go in there, but you know, those are essentially those two questions we, that we were, we were answering, you know, how well are you doing when you're called? How much are you benefiting from folding? Um, I also do uh, video hand reviews. So for people, if they're playing online, they can like send me an online hand history and I'll just record my commentary on top of that. And then, you know, give some just suggestions for them to work on, which by the way, I'd be happy to do for you, Joe, if you're ever playing online. Um, and those are uh, half that price of so those are 125 an hour cool i really appreciate the time you spent with us today andrew i do think that you can't help but make joe a better poker player after that session and obviously we'd encourage everyone to listen to the thinking poker podcast but not between saturday the 12th of march and wednesday (laughs) the 16th of march there's only one thing you should be doing for those five days Yeah. I only got one question. So is that all you got? You go bigger, stronger. You push harder. Is that all you got? You climb higher, faster, faster. So is that all you got? You put your best in the rest and no resting. Is that all you got? So you a victor. I only got one question. And that question is, are you ready? for the return of the European Poker Tour. Yes. Thank you for your question. (laughs) Glad to hear it, Joe. EPT Prague, the event originally scheduled for December 2021, finally got underway at the weekend. And I'm hearing from the team on the ground, Joe, that it's pretty busy, that there's been a pretty strong turnout for the first major EPT festival in more than two years. You don't say that after everything that happened the last two years and is currently happening now that people want to go do something where they only think about poker for a couple days. That sounds all right by me. Okay, so I figured I'd just talk about a couple of early results. And what I find fascinating here is that we've spent the last 24 months covering online poker. And we've become familiar with many screen names and the real names of many high stakes pros. And you kind of think, all right, now let's segue out of that and let's get back to, uh, you know, what we know from the live world. It's the same people. It's the same names. Well, let's start with one of our own, shall we? Sam Grafton, Squid Poker, has won a high roller. It was the first event on the schedule. It was a 10K buy-in. There were 57 runners and Sam bested the field to win 80,000 euros. Lena 900. Nicholas Astet was the runner-up. 
man, there's not really a whole lot of difference between uh, the, the poker we've been covering online and this so far, is there? Um, it it's, gets better. It gets like, better. It's like that scene in Rounders where they all like leave the fucking Chesterfield Club and go to go to Atlantic City. It's the same six people sitting at the table. So there was then a 25k single day high roller with a first prize of a quarter of a million euros. Two and Mulder, <laughs> aka Tino Mulder, Spirit of the Horse, won that one. So yep, the money continues to go in the direction of the same players who've been crushing for the last two years. Um, I think most of the focus now is on the Eureka Poker Tour. If you missed the announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago, the regional tours are back. The UK IPT, the France Poker Series, uh, the Australia's Poker Tour, and the Eureka. So check out PokerStarsLive.com to see future regional events. And of course, a lot of the times they're bolted on to the front end of an EPT. So Eureka Prague precedes EPT Prague. The main event starts tomorrow, and Joe, we are flying into town for that main event. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. I'm uh, uh, my first long haul flight in a very, very long time. James, I know you've like bounced in and out of your country a little bit just because yeah. that's what you have to do in Europe. But first work trip for a while, eh, buddy? Absolutely. Since Prague 2019. Um, And interestingly, there are many similarities. It's going to be a very similar setup. We're working with the team at King's Casino to facilitate our Cards Up coverage. Five days covering the last five days of the main event. If you've watched our EPT streams before, you'll know that we don't normally cover days 1A and 1B. We wait for the field to merge on day two. That's when we pick up the action and we follow it through to the final table. When we covered Prague two and a bit years ago, Nick Walsh was with us on site. Nick's coming again. He's going to be part of the team. We've obviously built this lineup of commentators, which I have to say did actually start in the live world. It started at the PCA in 2018. That's when we first brought Maria and Griffin Mm. into the mix. We added Nick at future EPT. Sam then joined the team. And we want to continue that team going as we get back on tour again. So Nick will be on site. Maria will be in LA. Griffin's going to be in Montreal, but we'll have guest appearances from them joining us remotely. A couple of things I wanted to highlight. We are going to be doing some daily updates. So in addition to the streams on YouTube and Twitch, and by the way, if you want to watch the live stream, very easy. The start time is the same every single day. Play starts at noon local. That's noon Central European time. We're streaming on a 30-minute delay because we're cards up. So that means 12.30 local. So that's 11.30 a.m. GMT. That is 6.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you want to watch our daily coverage from Prague. Um, In addition, as I said, we're going to do some like updates on YouTube and on social, just kind of recapping the big hands, the big stories from the day, the key facts and figures going into the next day's action, maybe a few player interviews as well. And I would warn you, Joe, just because it's March, don't think the weather is going to be that much warmer than December. I have checked the weather forecast. It's still barely above zero during the day and drops below zero at night. I'm talking Celsius, obviously. So around 30 Fahrenheit is what you're looking at. So please, this time for once in your life, bring a coat. You know what? I usually would have a coat with me on those trips because I was going to do my winter traveling immediately afterwards, so I would have a coat with me. There was a really strong chance I was going to bring just a hoodie on this trip because it's chilly in LA, and I always forget that the temperature is different, but it's not 
barely above zero here. So thank you. I appreciate it. I will bring some sort of coat. Of course, this is based on the assumption that we actually get outdoors. There is a lot to get through and a lot to cover. And it's very easy. In previous years, I've often referred to the Hilton Prague as the space station because you never leave. You're basically indoors for seven days because everything you need and want is in that one site. You stay in the hotel. You come down to the hotel restaurant for breakfast. You use the gym at the hotel. The King's Casino Poker Room is in the basement of the hotel, but it is good to get out and about. It is good to see Prague because it is a beautiful city and it will be interesting to see it not at Christmas without the trees and the lights. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. And we have a, we have a dinner date already, James. The, the, the folks at the GPI have offered to take us out to dinner. Hopefully we can... We can get outside the casino a tiny bit, but we'll see. I know that sometimes it's not always feasible, especially because I'm landing that same evening. So who knows if I get hung up, we, we might be we might be uh, having another steakhouse dinner at the Prague Hilton. Yeah, I kind of did a bit of a woe is me and shared my to-do list with the entire team. But when I arrive on site tomorrow, I have a million and one things to cover off before I can go anywhere near a dinner table. Anyway, because of the Prague coverage, which I hope you're as excited about as we are, that does mean there will be no Sunday Million stream next Monday, which is the 14th of March, because, of course, we'll be in Prague streaming the main event. But the week after that, after Prague is done and dusted, it is the 16th anniversary Sunday Million, and suffice to say, we'll be all over that one. Nick will join us for that stream. Sam Grafton will be 100% on board for that one. Obviously, I'm hoping Sam can join us for some guest commentary in Prague, but if he continues crushing, obviously yeah. he's going to put playing the EPT over calling the action on the EPT. Yeah, but no Sam shit. should be with us for the final day of the Sunday Million, the must-play MTT of the year. And I should point out, we are still awarding tickets because that is the prize in this week's Superfan Quiz. And we welcome to this week's podcast, Jack O'Neill. Hello, Jack. Hello, mate. How's it going? Hello, Joe. Jack of the Neil. What's happening, my dude? Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. Taking a little time out of uh, out of work to, to record the podcast, but I work from home, so can't really... Uh, so it's fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> we won't take up too much of your time. I was interested when you joined the call, Jack, whether you yep. were going to have an Irish lull. I wondered if you were from my homeland, but no, you are not. Where, in fact, are you? I am in the northwest, um, so I'm I'm from a town called Witness, which is basically just outside of Liverpool, sort of between Liverpool and Manchester. Um, I think there is Irish heritage. I'm not sure how far back, certainly further than I know anybody in my family. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not a scouser, but I'm sure many people yeah. will think I am. There is no way you can be called Jack O'Neill and not have yeah. Irish heritage. <laughs> yeah. The apostrophe yeah. is a bit of a giveaway in the family tree. <laughs> so working from home, Jack, what yep. do you normally do? What are you actually taking an unscheduled break from? Um, yeah, I mean, technically my role is project delivery lead. It doesn't really paint a good Ooh. picture. I'm in a, a sort of funky position. I was made redundant sort of during COVID. Um, and then sort of whilst I was unemployed, the company that I used to work for was bought about a sort of part of the company I work for was bought by a new company who have now taken me on. Um, and so I started just sort of on a three month contract doing a bit of admin stuff um, in the business system and, and stuff like that. But sort of it's moving now towards more like systems analyst, which is very new to me, but it's 
it's quite enjoyable. Can, so I'm can you say what the business yeah. is? I oh, still yeah. don't know if yeah. you work Jesus, in sorry, computers yeah. or fucking wanna, Twinkies. Yeah, I didn't want to bore you too much. But yeah, it's a, the, <laughs> the company, the new, so the company that I used to work for um, basically installed and managed Wi-Fi systems in hotels and, and sort of caravan parks and stuff like that. Um, the company I now work for do a lot more communications to do more like 5g stuff and and all i don't know jack this still sounds like it to me you sound like yeah, another I mean, fucking super yeah. fan who works in information technology i'm gonna i'm just gonna suggest by the way now it's been a while since we've been around but if you want some leads on hotels get in touch with us after <laughs> the next year or two and we'll tell you which hotels on the ept suck for wi-fi because if things haven't changed and i bet they haven't i would check out the town of san remo italy very closely, <laughs> right? If you want, mate. if you want some business leads, absolutely. Now I that. know that you love your poker, Jack, and I know yep. you play poker. You, in fact, warned us in advance that you already qualified for yes. the Sunday Million anniversary via one of the free rolls that we ran part of our Sunday Million live streams. I did, yeah. So I, I, not to say I'm, you know, James and Joel super fans, but I did miss the week that you guys weren't on Switch, and that was the first time you did the. Um, you did the giveaway, wasn't oh, it? Oh, so you I'm, did, I'm, wait. Did, did you specifically not watch because it wasn't I'm, us? I'm, I'm not going to say that. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't confirm or deny. But I, I was actually busy. But whether I would have watched, I don't know. But uh, okay. yeah, so I, I missed that week, and I thought I can't. Yeah, I can't miss again. I, I did. Have, I, I was a bit in the back of my mind. I did feel a bit guilty because I was like, I'm obviously on the on the podcast, and that's well, it, a good enough chance to win a, a ticket. And the key thing, Jack, is that multiple entries are allowed. Yeah. And obviously, you are still playing for a $215 ticket to yeah. this $10 million guaranteed event. Now, should you manage to not need it, should you go deep and cash on your first bullet? Yeah. After the event, I believe that that ticket will be converted into $215 T-dollars right. oh, okay, of PokerStars cool. tournament money. Oh, but sure. there's a very good chance you might need it. Yeah, so, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're still playing for the ticket. The Mandalorian is your chosen specialist subject. Yep. Coming up in a few weeks, we've got the Book of Boba Fett. I'm not happy about that one. But uh -oh. The Mandalorian, more than happy to discuss. Love yep. this show. Um, and to be clear, and bear in mind he's a busy guy, and we pull him in a million one directions. Patrick only had time to go over season one. So I believe all ten questions in this quiz relate to the first rather than both seasons of the show. Okay. Absolutely fine. That's that's fair. Um I like your chances, Jack. I don't know. <laughs> it used to be that um, that I thought I was a fan of something until I started working in this world. I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm I'm a Star Wars fan. And people are like, yeah, well, what's the third Stormtrooper on the right's badge number? And I'm like, what the fuck think is happening? There are Star Wars fans and there are Star Wars nerds. And yeah. then there are Star Wars super geeks, the kind of people who immediately recognize Cad Bane when he wanders into the book of Boba Fett in episode five or whatever it was. Anywho, The Mandalorian is the subject, not that other awful TV show. <laughs> yeah. So, Jack, as our super fan, as our guest, you get to go first. Please give me a number between one and ten. Yeah, cheers, mate. Let's go with number three. Number three. What is the first instance of the child trying to use the force. Oh. That is a great question. Trying multiple to choice use the force. Yes, can I have the multiple choices available. for this one? Is it to get Mando's ship parts back, to kill the bounty droid, to defeat the Mudhorn, or to close Mando's wound? 
See, I don't know if this is sort of a trick one, because obviously the big the big moment is when he lifts the mud horn up, but I don't know if maybe there's something that happens. You say try to use his power. Try is the operative word in the sentence. Ugh. I think, Jack, I don't want to lead you astray. I think that there's other times he uses it by accident yeah. or he wasn't trying. Can you say, what was the ship parts one? To get Mando's ship parts back. Hmm. Yeah, this is actually going to be a guess. I was thinking maybe that meant the little ball thing that he plays with, but... Yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, Sorry, mate. Can I have the other two other than the Mudhorn? Okay, to kill the bounty droid or to yep. close Mando's wound. I'm going to go... Close Mando's wound. But I'm Correct not for calm. a point. Wow. Just going to say, guys, if we spend this long on every question, this is going to be a fucking long show. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry. That's all right. Joe, any number other than three? Uh, yeah, I'm going to always come seven. Let's go. Let's do it. What race or species is Quill? I'll take the choice. <laughs> really? Is Quill a Jawa? Clatoonian? Ugnaught? Or Deveronian? I don't know what Queel is. I don't know. Um, you do know that Queel is one of the main characters in The Mandalorian, right? All right, so there's... Is Queel Carl, Carl Weathers? Nope. Is it Nick Nolte? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, it's not Jawa. Um, what are the other three? Clatoonian, Ugnaught, or Deveronian? Deveronian. He's an Ugnaught, obviously. Ugnaught. That sounded really obvious, yeah. Damn. Okay. Joe has yet to put up a point. Jack, you're the one spoken. <laughs> Yeah, incorrectly. So, any number other than seven or three? Uh, let's go six, please. Number six. What is the title of the final episode of season one? Ooh. Ooh. That would be the... Can I have the, uh, the options, please? Is it The Reckoning, Redemption, The Prisoner, or Gunslinger? I don't think it's any of the last two. It's certainly not The Prisoner. Um, I'm going to go with The Reckoning. It's Redemption. <sighs> Low-scoring game so far. Joe, you can get on the board here. Yep. Question uh, three. That's gone. Question four. Who plays Moff Gideon? Oh. Oh, I know this one. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. For two points, and you Woo! take the lead as we head into the third round. One, two, five, eight, nine, or ten, Jack? Uh, one, please. Question one. On the planet Sorgan, what is the name of Amera's daughter who takes a liking to the child? So whose daughter? Amera. Oh, Amera. Oh, oh, God. That's annoying, because I do know Amara's name. I don't... Can I have the options? I know is it summer, autumn, winter, or spring? Ooh. Winter. It is winter, which I thought was a reference to the Timothy Zahn novels, to the Thrawn trilogy, because I believe Leia's assistant is winter in ah. those books. Uh, the bonus question, what animal do they farm on this planet? No options for the bonus, or do we get options? No options for the bonus. Um... I don't know. I'm going to guess Panther, even though it's not. The answer was Krill. Krill. Right. Joe, two, five, eight, nine, or ten? Two, five, eight, please. Number eight. Who composed the music for The Mandalorian? I'll take the choices. Is it Ludwig Göransson, 
Hans Zimmer, John Williams, or Daniel Pemberton? Hans Zimmer. No, it's Ludwig Göransson. Two, five, nine, or ten? Five, please. What is Mando's real name? Oof. Din Jaren. For two points and the bonus Uh-oh. question, in which episode is this vital piece of information revealed? Um, it is the episode where Moff Gideon is stood outside, which will be the last. Is that the last one? What the re- I, I just need the number. Is there? I need uh, the number. Let's go five. It was eight. Eight. Okay. Two nine or ten, Joe. Uh, two, please. What is the name of the assassin that Mando and Toro Calican bounty hunt? I'll, I'll take the choices. Grief Karga, Cara Dune, Fennec Shand, or Ran Malk? Fennec Shand. It is Fennec Shand, who of course plays a much bigger part in this whole universe in later episodes and later shows. Right, final round. Nine and ten, the last two questions on the board. Which would you like, Jack? Uh, ten, please, James. On which planet are the bounty hunters based? Navarro. Navarro, four, two Uh-oh. points. And Joe, question nine. Which creature is Mando taught to ride in episode one? It's a Dave Filoni favorite that appears in most of his shows. The Rancor. No, it is the Blurg. You put up a measly three points. Jack, you scored (laughs) six points. Congratulations. You are going to get that second shot at the Sunday Million anniversary on Sunday, March 20th. We'll give you that $215 ticket, and we'll throw in a couple of pieces of merch as well. Oh, lovely, mate. Very much appreciated. And uh, good luck in Prague, guys. I'm really looking forward to the streams. Just wanted to say you'll... uh, Not much of a Twitch chatter, but I'll be there. Joe, you uh, just want to point out you got my name wrong in your Twitch chat when you were cooking the other day. Yeah, I was Big Deal O'Nelly that day, and I was Big Deal O'Nelly the next day when I was in Spraggy's chat, funnily enough. He, he called me the exact same thing. Which I was what did I say? Big Deal O'Nelly, you called me. Instead of O'Reilly? O'Neill. O'Neilly. Oh, okay. No, no, sure. just no, O'Neill. No, 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 the guy's name is Jack O'Neill. <laughs> O'Neill. That simple. Don't try and add any more <laughs> elements. Why did I add Neely to it? I don't know. All right, no, fine. No, Listen, Thanks for watching. <laughs> Thank you, Jack, and no, congrats. Thank you, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Appreciate that. All right, my babies, that's about all the time we have got for this week's show. We're going to be off for a week while we're in Prague, but use that Discord to comment on the show, submit your ideas, your super fan applications. I actually kind of have fun getting involved in the Discord. I didn't think I was going to like it, but... Uh, it's kind of neat having a little post-show discussion. So uh, James and I do pop into the Discord at least a couple times a week. So yes. uh, it, it's fun. And obviously I enjoy chatting with so many of the regs, but it'd be great to see more of you in there. So please join in the conversation. And yeah, we've got the next few weeks of Superfans booked in. Got a couple of requests out as well. But if you log it on that channel, if you put your request in that channel, it won't get missed. And it's always good to plan ahead. So please do volunteer to come on the show. Got some uh, good prizes we can award as well. All right. Coming up next time, but not next week, we will be recapping EPT Prague and the Sunday Million 16th anniversary. Yeah. Maybe we'll be able to speak to one or both of the winners of those tournaments. We'll do our best. And uh, Danny Hobo is getting another shot to come on the show. We'll finally 
be taking a swing at Superfan versus Stapes. New specialist subject, or is this what Danny was going to do before? Well, Danny was going to be our card counter superfan. There was okay. a kind of miscommunication, which is why Danny wasn't able to join us last week. So he's now picked his own specialist subject. Joe, it's a book that you've actually read. It's The Biggest Bluff by Maria Konnikova. I didn't, I didn't read all of it. Well, now's your chance. You've got <laughs> a long-haul flight ahead of you. I've got a long haul flight with almost every movie imaginable, probably at my fingertips. I don't know how much reading I'm going to do on this flight. The biggest bluff, by the way, was really, really good. All I did was read as much of it as I possibly could till Maria came on the show. And then I focused on something else. But um, it's a great opportunity for me to uh, attempt to read the rest of it. So uh, and of course, when I see Maria face to face and I tell her how much I love the book, I'd like to be able to be honest about that. So. I got some reading to do. We got some prog to cover. That is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, we'll smell you after prog. Prog.